0: Our text this morning is from the book of Kings, Second Kings. I'll give you a moment to turn there. 2 Kings is in your Old Testament to the left of Psalms and Job, a little ways. And it is another story of a supplication. And a supplication story that seems to have little prospect of success, as we've already heard this morning. If it weren't for a resurrection story, and I hope that sounds familiar to you in the gospel, our supplication before God has very little prospect of success, if it were not for a resurrection story. 2 Kings chapter 8, beginning reading at verse 1. Now, Elisha had said to the woman whose son he had restored to life that's the resurrection story referred to several times here arise and depart with your household and sojourn wherever you can. There's a direct word of the prophet to the woman. For the Lord has called for a famine, not simply predicted a salmon. A f- <laughs> Uh, A famine, but called for a halibut, a famine. And it will come upon the land for seven years. So the woman arose and did according to the man of God. She went with her household and sojourned in the land of the Philistines seven years. And at the end of the seven years, when the woman returned from the land of the Philistines, she went to appeal to the king for her household and her land. Now the king was talking with Gehazi, the servant of the man of God, saying, tell me all the great things that Elisha has done. And while he was telling the king how Elisha had restored the dead to life, behold, the woman whose son he had restored to life appealed to the king for her house and her land. And Gehazi said, My lord, O king, here is the woman, and here is her son whom Elisha restored to life. And when the king asked the woman, she told him. So the king appointed an official for her, saying, Restore all that was hers, together with all the produce of the fields, from the day that she left the land until now. A beautiful story of a woman taking God's seriously in the broader context of the famine where God is taking his word seriously. Lord, please give us ears to hear your word. Lord, not merely information, but revelation. Revelation of you, O oh Lord. Use this Lord's day to put our life into Perspective to heal us of all of the things that ail us, to give us courage for all of the things that we face. In Jesus' name, amen. Stories are such a blessing. They tell such wonderful things about God and lift our eyes to God. And this is a story that does exactly that. Lifting our eyes to God, who in the midst of the drama of humanity and the tumult of the nations in which we are living, which comes as such a shock to us, such a surprise to us, and yet when we look through human history, that has been the story of human nations that the people of God have lived in the midst of for their entire history. And that God is a God who is unfazed. I like the word that that Paul has used for this sermon series, unfazed. Because God is a God who is unfazed. This is a story of successful appeal, successful supplication, told in a way to demonstrate that obedience to God is rewarded with the faithfulness and provision of God. A very simple story of, of the woman who hears a word of the prophet and says, go, and she, she listens, she hears, and, and she goes. And in that listening, in that obedience, she witnesses a, a miracle of God's providence, of his blessing, of his kindness, and his faithfulness and provision for her. It means that even in if our obedience to God takes us to places of insecurity, which it did for this woman. She was going to lose her land. Even if obedience to God takes us to places of vulnerability and dependency, which it did for this woman, things that she had never known before, even in that place, she was still far better and safer than to be without God at all. I hope you share my my conviction about this perspective of the world, that when God speaks to us, even, even in his words that are words of discipline, even in the most severe way in which God can possibly speak to his people, in which he is doing here in the midst of a famine in the land, even in the midst of severity, it is a safer place to be in God than to be without God in this world. I've created a slide that I would like to use to demonstrate something that is true of this story. And that is that it is a story within a story. So there's a a bigger circle representing the bigger story. And then there is an inner circle representing the story that is within the bigger story, which is our local story. I hope you don't fall off your chair trying to read it. We'll leave it up there for a few minutes. But the larger circle represents the, the world view picture, the, the bigger view in the world, our, our conviction that human history is the reality of God himself taking his word seriously. And the smaller circle within it is the life that is lived locally in, in obedience of, of God's people being faithful in the midst of that big circle where God has taken his word seriously that helps them then to take God's word seriously themselves and to obey and to trust God in all that he has for them. The larger circle represents the famine, and it is God speaking to an entire nation, broader than merely to the woman, but to the entire nation with words of discipline, words that are severe, words meant to chastise, that there is a famine coming on the land. The smaller circle, the local story of of her obedience, those two stories, that they're connected in a very profound way. The revelation of God in the big circle is critical for what the woman experiences in the the smaller circle. If she didn't have that understanding of God in the bigger circle, she wouldn't have been able to live and act in the way that she did in her smaller circle. If she didn't understand the God being a God who can say whatever he wants, can you see how that would affect the smaller circle? A God who can say whatever he wants, and a God who takes his own word seriously, and a God who, when he speaks, cannot be canceled. That bigger, broader circle is what gives the capacity for the obedience to take God's word seriously, that God can say to me whatever he wants. And even in place of, places of hardship, even in places of difficulty, to be under the word of God is the safest place to be. Our lives also represent these two circles. We live our local story in the context of God's bigger story, understanding that that. That's what we're living in, in the midst of human history right now is the reality of God taking his word seriously. Sometimes I feel like we live what, in what I call a, a cult of affirmation. And what I mean by that is that only everybody only ever wants to be affirmed. The cult of affirmation, by that I mean that we believe that God can only ever speak to affirm us. The only ever speaks that he can't say whatever he wants. He can only speak to affirm people. And he never uses instruments of discipline. He never uses ways of chastisement. He never is severe with his people in order to accomplish his purposes and deal with our foolishness. You see how that would affect our our capacity to receive the word of God and to obey it. And of course, we have in the gospel tremendous affirmation. Affirmation of the love of God. That's what the gospel does do for us. It affirms us in in the love of God. But that love is not without discipline. That love is not without times of chastisement. Chastisement. That love is not times where we we experience in this world times of, of the severity of God's word dealing with the things that are so full of dross in our lives. In fact, if you know nothing of the discipline of God, then you know very little of the love of God. And God's purposes sometimes in the world and in our life are to accomplish his his purposes of helping us to deal with our foolishness, to deal with our twisted perversity, to try and make this world our heaven. I've been reading through the book of Zechariah recently in the Old Testament prophet section of my daily Bible reading. And in Zechariah 10, Verse 2, I, I came across these words that I found very interesting and very helpful. It says, Your household gods utter nonsense. <laughs> uh, yeah, wow, that's, that's, that's really true. Your household gods utter to you nonsense, and the diviners, they, they speak lies to you. They tell false dreams, and they give empty consolations. Therefore, the people wander like sheep and are afflicted for lack of a shepherd. Guess what idols say? Idols say what is in their best interest. <laughs> they say, use us. They whisper to us, use us, and you can have everything you want right here. And so you can see sometimes in the love of God, in the, in the mercy of God, sometimes he, he does, he, he speaks with instruments of discipline. And what the story shows, that, that even then, that it is the safest place to be, to humble ourselves under the word of God and to obey it and watch his faithfulness in our lives. I love words, the words that Peter uses in 1 Peter 1 to describe the Christian life. He says, like, like obedient children, hear and obey. Like obedient children. In other words, uh, the Christians are are people who, who know their place before God Almighty and obey as obedient children as this woman hears the word of the prophet, as difficult as it was, and simply obeys. Here's the main point that I'd like to get across this morning, that many reasonable excuses. I know this through personal experience. Many reasonable excuses could be found for not taking God and his word seriously. Where we say, really God? I think I have a better path. I think I I have a little bit more wisdom than that. But the Lord has real blessing for the obedient, for the righteous, for those that will set aside all of the fears that they have, all of of the the. Their own, as the proverb says, he who trusts in his mind, in his own mind is a fool. And simply listen and hear the word of God for us. She heard the prophet's word to abandon her land, which was for her a place of security. It was for her a place of provision for her. We know this woman. We know something of her story. A few chapters back, we, we learned that she was a woman of means and that she offered her resources in order to help the prophet Elisha live. Say, here, I'll feed you. I'll, I'll give you a, a place to live. And Elisha says to her, he says, well, thank you. And what, what good word could I put in to you for you to the king. And you can see this amazing reversal of circumstances that is going on here. What what kind of supplication could I bring to the king for you? And she says, I I don't need anything. And here, through hearing the word of God, she faces the prospect of losing that place of provision, losing that place of security. And one can only imagine how... Pragmatism was ready to pounce upon her obedience. Really? Leave? That doesn't sound like a very good idea. But if pragmatism had ruled instead of her sincere obedience and humbling before God's word, she would have missed the revelation of God. She would have missed all of it that she was able to witness when she walked into the tent or the room or into the presence of the king that day and the king looked at her and said, it's you. This is what I have for you. None of that would have been visible to her if she hadn't in her blindness to that considered the word of God something to be taken seriously. Seriously. The story is made up of two simple parts. The first part is that woman's obedience and taking God's word seriously and she obeys. The second part is that witnessing of a blessing of divine provision that is so very unmistakable. The first part of it, in taking God's word seriously. Again, the basis for this, this inner, this local story of of this woman's obedience is, is based on her perception, on her worldview, of her understanding, her conviction, that the human history that is going on around her is made up of the reality of God taking his word seriously. And she takes Elisha's word seriously, even though to her own wisdom, it couldn't have been the preferred word. It couldn't have been the, the best word to her own mind, to her own wisdom. It certainly wasn't the easiest words. As I said, she was a, a woman of means and she enjoyed the privilege of something that is so highly prized and idolized in our own society, which is autonomy. And she, she faced the, the possibility of losing that very thing. And she was, she was right, <laughs> if she would have felt that way. She was in the kingdom of Ahab's family. The king, unnamed in this particular story, but was certainly one of the sons of Ahab, whom we know to be a land-grabbing king. There's a story of him having the owner of the vineyard next to his place murdered in order so that he could have that land. And here's where the pragmatism kicks in. Here's where... Here's where the excuses kick in, where the the prophet says to her, there's going to be a famine in the land, you should leave. You should leave your land, you should abandon it, you should go. And here's where pragmatism pounces. While God can still provide for me, if I stay, can't he? Isn't God big enough to do that? It's a wonderful excuse, yes, but it doesn't deal with the words of the prophet that says, go. Go. See, excuses make a lot of sense. But they don't take seriously the actual words of God. She could have said, oh, look, at all, look at all these empty jugs I have in, in my building, in my, my place. You know, God has a history of doing this. He could just make those jugs flow endlessly so that they never cease to flow. Yes, God could do that. But there's the word of the prophet that said to go or surely she might think that well God wouldn't want me to be humbled before an ungodly king an unrighteous ruler that I have little regard for who has no respect God wouldn't want me to be humbled before him would he that's a great excuse But it doesn't account for the word of the prophet who said to her, leave your land and go to the land of the Philistines. She was at this point blind to how God could make a way. All she had was the conviction that to obey was better than sacrifice. All she had was the conviction that God God would provide and make a way for her. As she cast herself on the dependency in her circumstances, it was a dependency upon God, a place where we fear to tread and to the diminishment of his glory and our blessing. But she heard and she obeyed. It has been my experience over the years that nothing establishes God's people more in trust of one another than the confidence in one another that we have the capacity to hear the Word of God and obey it. There are times that we offend one another. There are times where we discourage one another. There are times when we betray one another. There are times when we make one another angry. And the the, the basis of the confidence and the trust that we have for one another isn't in the fact that we'll always only ever act properly and rightly towards one another. There's a deeper fundamental confidence and trust that exists between brothers and sisters in Christ. And if this is ever violated, there's no place to go. There's nowhere else to go to to say, you are a brother, you are a sister, and I trust you. Other than this single attribute that exists in God's people, I trust that when God speaks to you, you'll listen. I trust that you are... Immersed and saturated in the Word of God and when God speaks to you You will set your excuses aside and You will humble yourself before the Word of God and you have the ability to hear the Word of God and it reconciles people It, it brings people to the ability to to walk together in this world. I understand that in my own life as a Christian that there's no more important way to commend myself to you as a brother in the Lord than this single attribute, this single thing that the capacity to understand God in the world in in, in which I live in such a way that puts the, the, the freedom and the liberty upon me to say, God can say whatever he wants to me and I will listen. There is something sweet and desirable in this woman. There is something lovely in the character and in the demeanor of a person, of a Christian, who you can see through their character, through their speech, through, through their life, through their conduct, that they are accustomed to this very place, accustomed to the place of submission, accustomed to the place of willing to, to simply obey the word of God and setting their excuses aside. No matter how difficult the word of God may be to hear. You know, I'm struggling with this myself right now. I'm so full of excuses in my own personal life, and so full of pragmatism sometimes, where it's so easy to have an excuse, say, well, it would be easier just not to call now they'll still know that I like them. I'm dealing with friendships in the world. Dealing with the not only isolation from people that I care deeply about for years, and then you add to the isolation the layer of emotion that is going on right now. And I'm struggling with excuses to say the pragmatism that says, uh, I don't need any friends. Instead of the clear word of God that says, do not become weary in doing good. (laughs) It's not the kind of weary that simply comes from, from fatigue, but the weariness that comes from emotion, frustration. We live in days where we so desperately need to have the capacity to hear the word of God and to trust it in our own lives and And have that sweetness of character in our own life and conduct. We live in days of entrenchment. Where many of us fall into this affirmation only mode. And it's dangerous. Second point is a divine provision. The divine provision that is given by God. And it's such a beautiful story. A beautiful example of God blessing the righteous. Here is a, is a woman who wasn't a prophet, but said, I've got food for a prophet. And as Jesus would say later in the Gospels, if you want the reward of a prophet, feed a prophet. <laughs> a God taking what belonged to the unrighteous and giving it to the righteous. There's so much in the scripture about that, about the inheritance of the righteous and God blessing the righteous. The psalmist says, I've never seen God's children hungry, lacking for bread. The Proverbs says that trust in the Lord with all of your heart. And and what happens? He will make your way straight. Not you will make your way straight with your excuses and your pragmatism and your wisdom. But God, isn't this a beautiful example? God made her way straight. He really did in a way that it's hard to imagine. I love these words from Proverbs 10 that says, the Lord does not let the righteous go hungry. I feel like we've almost become embarrassed to say these simple words. God blesses the righteous. God is a righteous God who blesses righteousness that God loves righteousness in us. He loves obedience in us, and he rewards obedience. He he blesses faithfulness. But we are so scared of of being smacked with the the odor of self-righteousness that we set the whole idea of actually demonstrating and living and having the courage to walk in righteousness aside or we're so dissuaded from all of the heresy associated with blessing, it says God never wants you to be sick. God never wants you to be be without anything. Just trust in the Lord and you'll be rich and wealthy. To the point where we're ashamed to say there is blessing for the righteous. Of course it doesn't mean that you'll never be sick. Of course it doesn't mean that you'll never go through times of Of severity, in God accomplishing his purposes for us in in the love of God, it doesn't mean that one day you'll you'll pass from this world, as will I. We will all go through days of, of difficulty, but the things that you can't buy with money, God will bless us with. You can't buy contentment, you can't buy peace, you can't buy friendship. All of those commodities that are so enriching of our lives, God blesses us with when we look to him and entrust our lives to him. Reading in the book of 2 Timothy recently, and Paul speaks of a servant that was blessed to him. His name is Onesiphorus or something like that. And Paul says, I was in jail in Rome. And this guy, instead of just going about his own life, he, he, found, he, he searched me out. He found me, found me in a jail and took care of all my needs while the other guys all just took care of themselves. And this is what Paul says about Onesphorus. He says, God bless him. And may he on that day receive great mercy from God. Wonderful where Paul's thoughts went to in witnessing the faithfulness of one of God's servants. When the woman looked into that room and saw the king and saw this servant of Elisha beside him, I wonder if her heart sank. You wonder, well, what is Gehazi doing in this room in the first place? Is he supposed to have uh, leprosy and be outside of the camp somewhere? And the text doesn't actually explain that. It could be that the story is told out of chronological order in order to make more of a a theological and doctrinal statement in the progression of the text instead of a strict chronological that Gehazi perhaps hasn't been struck with leprosy quite yet. But the reader knows, because we have read the story of, of Naaman and Gehazi's attitude towards Naaman. The reader knows when we read this, all this back knowledge that comes forward in this story, not only from the woman, but also of of Elisha's servant, that he is not a generous man. In fact, he likes to have things for himself, and that he is not a foreigner-loving person. In fact, he may be quite prejudiced. And so it's hard to imagine the the dismay that the woman might have felt coming into this room. But what a shock it must have been In, in all of that human reason and in, in, in all of that human perspective and all of that think well, what, what can I possibly expect here? In the background, there's a resurrection story that, that's making all of the difference that completely surprises the woman with, with the face of the king that turns to her and says, it's you, it's you, tell me. And then gives her all that belongs to her and more. How much better to be surprised by God's provision than to be masters of our own ship. Well, let's get to Jesus. It's all about Jesus. The goal this morning is not simply to to leave here understanding the Bible better. Sometimes we reduce our goals in worship to that. Our goal is to adore Jesus more by understanding the Bible better. (laughs) we have to get to Jesus. It's all about him. It's not about us. It's, it's, all, it's not what our faithfulness earns for us. It's what his faithfulness through his resurrection story has already earned for us. And as we go through all of these Old Testament stories, Jesus can walk through all of the stories as he did with the two on the road to Emmaus and say, it's mine. It's mine. That's mine. That's mine. I'm not saying that the woman is like Jesus or the king is like Jesus or anything like that. I'm saying that the revelation of God in the story belongs ultimately in its fullest display to Jesus. To talk about the kindness of God, to talk about the faithfulness of God, to talk about the mercy of God that comes to us in ways that we could never comprehend, in ways that we could never imagine, to talk about the the wisdom of simply giving ourselves to God, it all belongs to Jesus. All of it is demonstrated to us most fully in the gospel. And as God dealt with these men who were in their own character and in their own nature, twisted, God has dealt with with that very same thing in our own life, the twistedness, the, 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 the perversity. And when we leave this world of sojourning, as the woman left the land of the Philistines. This place where we are aliens. Thank God that we do not face a place of supplication where there is a frowning face, where someone has to be convinced to give us our inheritance, but instead there is a throne of grace waiting for us. There is a place where Jesus, by his own sojourning in this world, has gone ahead of us and gone ahead of us to the Father and prepared for us a place that is imperishable. Kept for us. These are the words of Peter. It is an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory to God. Amen. Praise the Lord. Would you please pray with me? Lord, thank you for the tremendous hope that we have. Thank you for the stories of the Bible. I pray that you would use them by your Holy Spirit to live in this world with confidence. Not confidence in our own wisdom, confidence in our own decisions, but confident that you are sufficient in your words to us to guide us in all things. Lord, help us to abandon ourselves to you. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.